Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Uh, let's bring in Michael Tobe, Troy Media Syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, and former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. He is with us now. Michael, thanks for the time. How are you this morning? What are your thoughts over what happened last night? Well, I'm fantastic, Scott. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I want to get in. I wanted to get get into a conversation with you uh, later on in this little chat about the future of conservatism and where it's going. But first, your thoughts on the, the election? Look, you know the the old line is the voters are always right when they when they come out to do their civic duty. I always add the little caveat to it, especially when they're wrong. Which you know they they've made their choice, and the decision basically was that. Liberal leader and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was not entitled to a second majority, but he had enough support and people had enough confidence in him to give him a second government, or in this case, a very large minority, which will most likely be propped up. He doesn't need to be formally propped up at all. At 157 seats currently, you know, depending on how things go, any last-minute recounts, etc., that's solid enough that he only needs, like, baseline support from some of the NDP, for example, or some of the Bloc Québécois members. And that should be pretty easy to maintain him, at least certainly for a couple of years, if not more. Um, you know, as for Andrew Scheer and the Tories, certainly they can at least be happy that they went up 26 seats. That's very good. The problem is that the expectations were much higher, and it should have been a lot better. Uh, Ontario, really, in general, was the was basically the albatross for this party in the sense that the numbers for the Liberals, the Tories, and the NDP in Ontario were all relatively the same, which means that the Tory breakthrough that they were hoping for didn't happen. They always knew that they were going to lose badly in Metro Toronto. That's not shocking. That's where I live, and it's as red as sin down here. But elsewhere, there were opportunities, and, you know, as other people, including... Uh, Bob Ray and Corey tonight on the CBC last night, and Steve Bacon of TVO, who just wrote a piece about this morning. The real question that a lot of people are going to be starting to think about was, was it a mistake to keep Ontario Premier Doug Ford in an invisible cage, so to speak, for the entire six-week campaign, or most of it anyway? So uh, that's where we kind of are right now. And basically, and very quickly, the NDP has nothing to be proud about. They dropped 15 seats. Yes, they sort of hold the balance of power, but Jagmeet Singh's enthusiasm is a little questionable. The Bloc Québécois jumped up 22 seats. They're now a power player again. The Green Party has only picked up one seat, and clearly they don't have much more to go. They've hit a ceiling. And uh, Maxime Bernie and the People's Party of Canada are out of the House of Commons. Uh, is Doug Ford the reason that the Conservatives lost Ontario? I mean, if you no. look at what happened with um, Quebec and the Bloc and such, uh, I think many thought that there would be more conservative support in uh, Ontario. How do you explain that? Yeah, no, 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 I don't think Doug Ford cost the Tories Ontario or the federal election, not by any means. But I think that by not utilizing him, and I think I talked about it with you, and I certainly did with a few media personalities here and there, there were ways to utilize Doug Ford during the campaign, even on a more limited basis. Meet and greets, uh, introductions of candidates, uh, he could have done a little bit of door knocking. There were things you could have done on a, a more limited basis at the very most, or maybe if they wanted to keep him out of the campaign for a couple weeks and bring him sort of gradually in for the final four, that might have worked too. But in the grand scheme of things, would that have translated into many more seats? 
probably not. You know, maybe a few extra here and there, which would have cut uh, Justin Trudeau's minority government down to size. Maybe it would have dropped them closer to the low 150s, high 140s. But in the end, ultimately, I think most Canadians made their decision. The popular vote obviously shows that the Tories were slightly ahead of the Liberals. But as we know, and as we've seen in U.S. politics, which you and I have talked about, that doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. It matters how many seats you get. And in in terms of the first past the post system that we operate under in this country and the Westminster model of democracy that we follow, the Liberals have won the election. They hold the right to continue in power, and they will. Uh, Doug Ford's obvious absence in the in the campaign uh, did that play into the liberal narrative? Yeah, I, I think they utilized it as best they could. I mean, they tried to make him a lightning rod for controversy, and to some degree, it succeeded. But I think it succeeded more so in, shall we say, the cities that didn't like him in particular. Like, for example, saying how awful Doug Ford is in the city of Toronto is an easy sale. Unfortunately, I know it. It is an easy sale. But push, but pushing him out in some of the rural areas or smaller urban areas in Ontario where he does have a lot of appeal, I mean, the Liberals tried to utilize that, but I think they overdid it to the point that Andrew Scheer and the Tories could have actually encapsulated some of that irritation, that being people getting tired of listening to Doug Ford in every sentence and Doug Ford being criticized for everything that's wrong in the country, which is nonsense, of course. And they could have had, the, the federal Tories could have used some of that frustration, shall we say, maybe to their advantage. But again, we're just speculating. So, Andrew Scheer, the reason that this party didn't resonate more? Well, you know, it, it's early days, and I, I don't like to put a knife in someone's back right now. And Andrew Scheer obviously has to be pleased with himself in one sense. As I said, he went up 26 seats. That is good. It does mean that the Conservatives are more of a contender now. I think that, though, some Tories will sit back and say, well, could we have done better with another leader? Would there have been more seats? Could we have won government? We don't know for sure, because obviously the situation and the scenario would be completely different. But no, I don't think that Andrew Scheer is fully to blame for what has happened here, because every political party stumbled badly, including the one that Canadians re-elected for their federal government. Everybody stumbled. However, there were certain things that the Andrew Scheer Tories could have done differently, and Scheer's problems, including the whole business with his role or non-role, whatever you wish to say in the insurance industry, and the fact that he was a dual citizen, even if that's even if both are not relevant to you, they played off some angle. I think those things were a bit of a struggle, and it made it very difficult for the Tories to capture not only a higher percentage of the vote, but also more seats. I don't know. I think those two incidents you just mentioned versus blackface and SNC-Lavalin, I don't think I don't think that even resonates, does it? I, it did, to some degree. Well, the, the dual citizenship did for a little while, let's put it that way. Um, with the, the insurance industry, I think it was a, like a two, three-day news cycle at best. The same thing as the two-plane controversy, if you remember, that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had. Yeah. For a couple of days, everybody was up in arms, and then suddenly the, you know, the shiny little object down the street caught their attention, and off they went. So I'm just saying that when you put all those things together, it's problematic. I think also, which, which is problematic, too, is one of the keys to my old friend and boss, Stephen Harper, his success 
was that we talked about policy and extensively how different the policies would be that we're putting in play versus what the liberals had or what the NDP had, etc. Policy, as you know, was not a major issue during this campaign. So if your meat and potatoes area or the core to your being, which is conservatism and public policy, is not part of the equation of a particular election campaign, often it's disastrous for conservatives. <laughs> Uh, I remember when Ronna Ambrose took over the uh, Conservative Party way back when on an interim basis. She promised yep. a kinder, gentler Conservative Party. Uh, you know, I-, I was listening to Charles Adler last night, and he brought up a very valid point. This party mm-hmm. does not seem progressive at all. It seems like um, the-, the country's progressive and the Conservatives are not. It- and there's many situations where I think, you know, that's like my grandfather's Conservatives. What do we have to do to bring this party back to the center and stop scaring the hell out of everybody and really you know i i know it's a lot of strategy on the part of the opposition but man there's just a lot of things throughout this campaign that you just shake your head at and think why did you do that it's just it, where is the where's the new modern conservative party that's closer to the center and away from the right-wing wackos and anyone who other opposition parties can compare to them or the scariness of the doug fords or what have you where are they well, look, I mean, and, and not to toot my own horn, you know, for over most of the, my career in this, I've always said I'm not a progressive type of conservative, and many are not. Progressive, con- progressive conservatives, and we don't have to have a whole history lesson about it, that term only came into play when John Bracken, who was then the leader of the Progressive Party and the premier of the Saskatchewan, wanted to, you know, the, the old... Liberal Conservative Party, which in the Conservative Party of Canada, wanted to bring him in as leader. He said he wanted that element as a part of it, Scott. And that's the term. The term doesn't mean anything. It's Again, the- I don't want to get stuck in the branding here. To me, this party seems old and dated. You know, you don't have to use the term. You can you can call it whatever you want. But to me, they they just do not seem to capture the attention of of Canadians, and and they're not closer to. The, I mean, I think the I think the solution is the center, and they just it seems that we keep getting farther to the left or farther to the right, and and I I don't understand why they why they set themselves up for for an, an obvious tug from a from the left. Well, look, I mean, firstly, this isn't an older party. The merger of the Canadian Alliance and the old federal PCs only happened 16 years ago. That is the branding iron of the two. And while everyone likes to say, oh, come on, it's just the old reform Canadian Alliance is sort of running for, you know. People are scared of this party, Michael. People are scared of this party. That's what it comes down to. It's, I don't think that they're scared of it, Scott. There, unfortunately, there is a certain amount of ignorance about what the Conservative Party or what conservatives. That's not the voters. That's not the voters' fault, though. That's the party's fault. I'm not denying that, but and that's unfortunately salesmanship on their part. And I agree that the conservatives, in terms of their political and economic message, have not perfectly sold themselves since the merger. Or, if you really want to go back, have not perfectly sold themselves since losing the 2015 federal election. So that four-year gap has been very problematic to conservatives in Canada. I don't deny that. So where do you see this going? How you, you predicted that this might be a longer minority situation? No. No, actually, I don't. I mean, yes, it could be, because this is a very, very big minority. This is, let's say, for argument's sake, it stays where it is. It's 157 seats. Even if it goes down one or two, it's still very, very big. 
So it is easy for Justin Trudeau to get a little piece here, a little piece there, maneuver around, ensure that the NDP is mostly on side, and basically just a whole soak the rich mentality, raise your taxes, more federal government. And even if Canadians complain, and they deservedly so, and they'll complain in the West, they'll complain in the East, they'll complain everywhere, you know, that's unfortunately what we have in play. So do I think it'll last a long time? I think if it were a different liberal leader in charge, a Jean Chrétien, a Paul Martin, even a Pierre Trudeau, Justin's father, I think you could basically see this sort of a government lasting possibly an entire mandate of three to four years. However, based on the fact that Justin Trudeau is a very ineffective leader, a very mediocre politician, and a poor policy thinker, he will do something to disrupt the the balance of the parliament, or he will irritate both the NDP, the Bloc Québécois, maybe even the Greens, whomever, to the point where they will probably pull the trigger a little earlier than it should. The average minority government in Canada historically lasts 18 to 24 months. Trudeau might get a little bit more. He might get lucky a la Lester Pearson, Stephen Harper, etc., and get a few extra months on top of it. I can't see a full mandate, but it'll last certainly more than a year, a year and a half, that's for sure. What about leadership? Uh, Is everybody's leadership secure? Are are there uh, changes there? You know, that's a really, really good question. It really is, because, I mean, everyone's gaming it out now. I mean, everyone sort of has said that the knives are out for sheer. But as I told you beforehand, certainly there's going to be grumbling, because (laughs) if there's one thing about Canadian Conservatives, we grumble very well. There's no question about that. I mean, look at John Capobianco speaking to the Globe and Mail about the Peter McKay campaign, quote-unquote, that was out there. I can only imagine someone like Peter McKay, who, and I have no idea what's going on behind the scenes for the record. He was probably furious that it came out if it existed or if it didn't exist. Because, you know, we all know how terrible that is and that loose lips sink ships and Tories have sunk a lot of ships that way. Um, but I don't know if Sheer is necessarily dead in the water they may choose to wait for a while. Everyone may just choose to see how does Andrew Scheer handle things with a bigger opposition party? You know, does the liberal minority government survive and very easily so? And that could tell the tale. So he's the one who is most people be watching. I think the other leader who's sort of up in the air is probably Elizabeth May of the Green Party, only simply because, Scott, moving from yeah. two to three seats, yeah, that's an increase of your caucus, Adding uh, an MP in New Brunswick, well, you're now in a different part of Canada, in a different province. That's good, too. You have two MPs in B.C. and one out in Atlantic Canada, but they're not growing. They're not moving. Yes, part of that has to do with the fact that Jagmeet Singh sort of saved face, recovered his campaign, and at least got the NDP back to the point where they may be the fourth party in the House of Commons, but at times it looked like they were going to be behind the Greens, which was pretty stunning. Mm. I think her, you know, it's a question of do they really want to continue on? She clearly wants to continue on based on her speech last night. But will the Green Party want to, A, try to get somebody new, or B, and I just throw this out here, we all remember what was being discussed about Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott, yeah, they yeah. were sort of thinking hmm. of moving over. Well, Philpott lost last night, but Wilson Raybould held on. I'm just saying it's still out there. Michael Tobe, Troy Media Syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, former speechwriter for Stephen Harbour. Michael, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks very much. I'll be happier next time. I, I hear you, man. 
The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.